This is the Yanks Go Yard Podcast with Adam Weinrib and Thomas Carinante. Welcome to the Yanks Go Yard Podcast on this beautiful Thursday. I'm Adam Weinrib alongside Thomas Carinante here to bring you the only podcast that gets your Bronx bombed on a weekday afternoon. Garrett Cole took one more start before riding off into the sunset. He complete game to shut out the Blue Jays as the Yankees decided to play a better version of spoiler in their second go around against Toronto. Aaron Judge homered twice. New York won 6 nothing and take the first two games of this road set in Canada. And it turns out when you have two good players and they both play well at the same time, sometimes that helps you win baseball games. And the Yankees still probably only have those two good players, but they uh, they also got some guys to consider. Austin Wells starting to come around a little bit. Oswald Peraza certainly looking better lately, making you think about who could be the better shortstop for the 2024 Yankees and beyond. Plus, Hal Steinbrenner's audit is approaching, apparently. Who's most at risk? Who's likely to stay? We power rank the people who are going to get hit by the independent committee. Plus a new segment called Narratives That Annoyed Us This Week. The name is up for grabs. We are going to, we always, uh, in the middle of rants, at least me, I'm always like, oh, and by the way, I saw this on Twitter and I hated it. So you know what? Now I'm not going to interrupt myself by yelling about something I saw on social media. We're just going to do it in a segment. So we'll do that at the end. Uh, make sure to find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, or live on YouTube Mondays and Thursdays, 2 o'clock Eastern. We thank everybody for joining us in the comment section on the live stream. If you want to check out the video after it goes up, subscribe to Yanks Go Yard on YouTube. Give us a you know thumbs up this video, comment, all that good stuff, and, and make sure to give us a, a review on your preferred podcast network. The New York Yankees are not all sunshine and roses. Uh, an incredible tweet. Uh, Stanzo, an unbelievable tweet with just a ridiculous group of people that uh, made $139 million against the luxury tax and combined for 0.1 F war this year. Uh, so, again, even in our positive podcast, we're not going to be it's not going to be all positivity. It's Stanton Rodon, DJ Rizzo, Sevi, Montas, Donaldson and Hicks. That's one hundred thirty nine million dollars for roughly break even league average play. So plenty wrong with the Yankees. Plenty to be discerned in the audit before we get into the auditing. Thomas Carinante, welcome to the show. You've got an offer for our listeners and viewers. What's up, everyone? Yankees fans, Yankees haters, welcome. Um, attention all, Caesar Sportsbook. Running a new sign-up offer that you're not going to want to miss, especially if you like to gamble and you have not yet signed up for Caesars. New customers can get their first bet on Caesars up to $1,000. 1G, using our code YGY1000 when signing up. Not only will your first bet be covered, but you will directly be supporting us. And we're pretty cool. We're fun. I think, right? We're pretty, pretty nice. Um, so if you haven't joined Caesar Sportsbook yet, now is the perfect time to make that move. Just remember to enter that code YGY1000 at sign up and place that first bet. Again, it's YGY1000. This offer is available to new customers who are 21 and older and physically present in legal gambling states. Please remember to always gamble responsibly and check the episode descriptions for full terms of the offer. Um, I owe everybody an apology. I, uh, was hell bent on the Yankees making sure that they rested everybody for this last week because I didn't think it mattered. Um, but man, watching these last two games was great. Um, Garrett Cole's complete game shutout was an absolute pleasure to watch. Aaron judge going yard. Those two times was awesome. John Carlos Stanton ripping that two run single off Jose Barrios was satisfying Need a little bit of that before the year ends just because of how disappointing everything's been. And now I think we've officially buried the Red Sox as 
a below yeah. 500 team in last place in the they can't uh, get out. Least. They can't get out of last place anymore. There is no more risk. They are uh, 76 and 82. The Yankees cannot lose more than 81 games. That's if they go 0 and 4 to finish their season. I'd love if the Yankees could win one in either Kansas City or Toronto to clinch an above 500 season, but they yeah. will not finish below 500 and they will not finish in last place. And the Yankees and Red Sox have very similar run differentials. And we'll, we'll talk about the Red Sox later, unfortunately. But, yep, that's it. That's clinched. Uh, Aaron Boone will not be privy to any sort of jinx for saying, uh, well, you're not a Red Sox fan on the John Boy podcast because the Red Sox are officially the last place team in the American League in 2023. Done, dusted, printed. Special season incoming, though, I thought. Um, interesting. Well, and showed up to the second game of the season. Yeah. So this was destined to be a special year in Boston. Uh, nobody wants to deal with an underdog Red Sox team. Uh, unfortunately, I'm just receiving word that uh, everybody wants to deal with an underdog Red Sox team because they're six games under 500. Yeah, all those Floridians that showed up to spring training, too. God bless you for um, having leisure time. You it's- paid $6 to beat the Heat at uh, Fenway South. Uh, so good, good job. Uh, it's a it's a good activity. It does not portend anything to do with regular season, no. pro season success, but yeah, it's certainly fun to go to spring training games. Yeah. Um, interesting stat too. The Red Sox on September fifth were seventy two and sixty seven, mm-hmm. and right now they are seventy six and eighty two. Yeah. So fuck you. When I went to Boston, they were, I believe, 10 games over 500 at the end of July. That sounds insane, but I'm about to fact check that for you right now. Um, They were 56 and 47. It was nine going for 10. They got walked off by the Giants on Saturday, July 29th and never really looked back. And I think that's a shame. Yeah, but don't worry. Red Sox fans will be there to let you know that the Yankees had a losing record against them this year. Yeah. Because that's all that matters. There will be one thing that will only matter, and then everything else doesn't. Um, kind of like Blue Jays fans. I'll rant about you later. I hate you too. It's been fun to get you this week. It's going to be tough. The only thing that makes it sad is that it's going to be hard for the Blue Jays to actually fall out of the postseason picture. Uh, the Mariners gagging yesterday against the Houston Astros in the third game of their series made it all the more difficult for Toronto to drop out. But as things stand right now, Toronto is in the second wild card spot, would have to go to Tampa to play the first round series. Uh, they are one game up on Houston and two games up on Seattle. Seattle's got four to play. So if Seattle wins today, Toronto also has four to play. Uh, some teams don't. The, the Astros don't. The Astros are 87 and 72. They've just got three games against Arizona. Toronto's 87 and 71. They got one left against us, three uh, against Tampa in Canada. So not, not so easy, but if the Mariners could win today's game against Texas, they would be two games out in the loss column. Uh, Toronto's got Yankees would have to probably beat Toronto again today. And then hope Tampa Bay goes to town on them. So it, it's difficult. The Mariners made it a lot more difficult for Toronto to drop out of the postseason, but the Yankees did their work. The Yankees came to play. Shut, Kevin Gossman tried to make his best Cy Young case in the first game of this series, shuts him out. Giancarlo Stanton can't run or won't run or isn't allowed to run gets gunned down should have scored on a single gets gunned down on a grounder in the infield whatever send him on a grounder but don't send him on a single in the like what cheap enough to be another disaster but austin wells the beast comes through with a two-run oppo shot clay home saves it ding in gossman cy young case garrett cole toes the rubber the very next day we all say oh don't do that you're just risking you know why would you i don't need this uh and gets through a complete game barely over 100 pitches he's at like 92 through eight 
I looked, I thought he was going to get taken out after the sixth. Then I looked up after the seventh and he was at 84 pitches. And I was like, he's going to, he's not coming out of this game. And he was never coming out of this game. Aaron judge provided not one, but two laser home runs. And again, the Yankees, maybe they're only two good, perfect players. Uh, did the job in Toronto yesterday to at least make it interesting, make Blue Jays fans sweat a little bit. Something about ever since they accused Aaron Judge of cheating and the Blue Jays broadcasters on the pregame show said that the Jays should headhunt him the next day, they have not been able to handle the New York Yankees in that building in Canada. So what a shame that it happened two more times, at least with the potential for a third incoming before the end of the season. No, I mean, they've never been able to handle Aaron Judge in that building. He has... No, well, he's cheating. So yeah, Cheating, yeah. yeah. He has moles in the Rogers Center. He's um, He did one sideways look, and that's how you know he was cheating. <laughs> because eyes never look towards things. So when they do, it's cheating. <laughs> he he has a, OPS, a one dot something OPS there, and I think um, um, 18 home runs or 19 home runs in 42 games. Yeah. So is that good? Is that good? Did he break it? Um, but yeah, that second blast, I mean, both blasts were awesome. One was an a- absolute rocket oppo shot that got over the fence. And then the other one was a 424 foot bomb on a hanger to left field. Um, yeah. a lot of Whit Merrifield staring at stuff in this series, turning around and going, <laughs> Nope, I can't get that. That's a home run. Yeah, it was, I had a good time watching. Michael King was great. Um, that Austin Wells homer was just really good for morale overall. You have the Oswald Peraza throw, fielding and throw. Um, yeah. So I uh, I take back what I said. I'm enjoying watching them close out the year. Uh, Garrett Cole couldn't have ended his season any better. That was the coolest way to go out. Uh, he will not be starting again. He is the Cy Young even though Forbes suggested otherwise, they said Pablo Lopez should be the Cy Young because his advanced metrics suggest he's better. He's gotten a little bit unlucky here and there. Um, but how unlucky can you be having a full run tacked onto your ERA than, you know, worse than Garrett Coles? Um, and also just my argument against analytics, you need them, you use them. They're very useful for uh, determining trends under the hood that you can't spot on the surface for predicting future performance perhaps but it's not for saying oh this guy should have been better than this guy because of these numbers which i think is where analytics goes wrong um if a game-winning hit in the postseason has an expected batting average of 85 you don't take that hit away because it should have been caught or it wasn't hit hard so that's why when we're diving into these numbers and you're talking about end of season races, if two people have a razor thin case and the, the ERAs are very similar, the whips are very similar, you know, everything is very similar. And then you want to go into layer two of the argument, which is advanced metrics, then fine. But Garrett Cole has been better than Pablo Lopez. Pablo Lopez wasn't even on the top, I think 10 or 15 of the ESPN Cy Young predictor. Although Felix Bautista was number one on that thing when I researched it. Um, and they, he, faced, they faced each other once this year, though. That was Cole's other shutout, his yeah. other complete game shutout in New York. Yeah. So how about that? Yeah, I mean, look at all the look at Cole getting unlucky in 2019. He pretty much led in every category, and the voters went with Justin Verlander. I think Verlander had a better whip. Um, and 
He didn't have a bet. Cole had more strikeout. Uh, Verlander had one more start, more innings pitched, and um, a better whip. And he got he had more wins too, and he got it. Um, you know, look at various unlucky seasons with batted ball metrics. It doesn't change the reality of what's happened. Baseball's fucking weird. I think that's yeah. just what that's just what the uh, it, it comes down to at the end of the day. Like this sport is more unique and unpredictable than any other. And you could play like you're having a good season and not actually have one. Um, but we're not going to live in fantasy world and try to flip that when it doesn't go your way. Or if you just value me- advanced metrics better than, you know, the surface level numbers. And I don't think surface level numbers should rule the day, but also advanced metrics should not be flipping an argument on its head just for the sake of doing so. Yeah, this is probably Cole's second best season ever, and yeah. uh, the the metrics indicate it's not like the metrics indicate that he's a huge flop and Pablo Lopez is a goat. It just indicates that Pablo Lopez may have gotten a little unlucky. Metrics are helpful and predictive. Reading what Pablo Lopez did this year and seeing that below the surface indicates he could have had an even better season. Maybe it teaches Pablo Lopez a, a method for increasing his potential luck factor. Maybe he dives into it for solutions and, and ways to figure out how to maximize uh, his talent and what lies under the hood. Or maybe he just says, Hey, odds are next season goes even better for me. That's fantastic. But when you start awarding Cy Young's and end of season awards, which do have monetary rewards tied to them, you start awarding those to things that didn't happen. That's like the Dodgers columnist in the LA times last year who said, once the Dodgers were down to the Padres in the NLDS, hey, we shouldn't even have a World Series this year. What happened to just naming the best team the champion? It's like, well, that is not what we agreed upon. You, <laughs> played, you played a postseason, and it didn't turn out well. They, also, they, never, they also never did that. No, it's a thing you invent when you're like, oh, no, my 108-win season is about to disappear. Well, why don't we do the most wins award? Like, that's kind of what this sounds like, too. Uh, you awarded the team that you believed based on the data you had should have been the best team, but then in the tournament, they weren't Pablo Lopez. There are some metrics indicating he perhaps should have had a better season than Garrett Cole. Cole did a great job minimizing the home run ball this year. He basically had the same innings pitched, uh, same hits per inning, you know, fewer K's this year, but only gave up 20 home runs as opposed to giving up 33 last year. So he pitched to contact a little more, avoided the strikeout in an effort to chase softer contact and avoid the home run ball, get the ball on the ground more often. And it worked and he had an incredible season. And if there was any doubt about him being the Cy Young entering yesterday's start, and there shouldn't have been, he went nine innings against a team that had everything to play for while he had nothing to play for and dominated them and uh, shut him out, lowered his ERA into the mid two sixes after it was three five Oh last year, all the way down to two six, three Pablo Lopez. I hope he finishes sixth or seventh but it's Garrett Cole's award it's no one else's award and there's not even really a conversation to be had here no um and congrats to Garrett Cole um like we said last episode you know I owe him an apology for all the shit I talked on him for years and I love how hands-on he was this season um and the Rortvet stuff we were laughing earlier because we thought he genuinely hated Ben Rortvet talking Yanks talked about it too um and I wondered if that was like part of the Yankees clubhouse problems. But David Cohn was saying that um, Garrett Cole feels very comfortable with Ben Wortvet and uh, is able to be more expressive. And if that allows him to kind of channel some of that anger and uh, be a little bit flippant or be, I guess, 
a little bit more open and animated with someone like Ben Wartvet, who I guess brings that out in him, then I'm for it. Nod, you know, he's he's nodding very like sarcastically on the mound when he's trying to he's trying to get Wartvet to give him the right pitch. He has all those moments in the dugout with him with him. We thought it was like a weird form of I don't know, hazing, would you even call it that? Or just Cole being in such like an alpha position where he's like, you know what? This season sucks. I'm sick of this. I'm sick of people being worse, you know, beneath me. And I'm going to start, you know, being a hard ass. Um, it's not that per David Cohn. And I trust David Cohn. So, um, yeah, all is right with Garrett Cole. I hope that um, things can go better for him next year in a season that actually matters. Um, speaking of seasons that actually matter, is 2024 going to matter? Is Hal Steinbrenner going to do something? What do we think? Well, let's think about it. So what we heard this week, the word keeps coming out on the forthcoming audit, which is impartial. It's an outside source. Apparently, they're not going to be going through uh, personnel decisions or, or whatnot. They're probably not going to say, hey, you shouldn't have traded for Joey Gallo. But they are going to say this process doesn't make sense. This person's not fit to lead this industry this person should not be in charge of xyz whatever they're in charge of i believe that to be what's going to happen and so there's certainly a chance that this is just a try hard maneuver there's the annoying version of the audit where it's just an excuse to say hey we did things and they don't think there's a lot wrong and we fired three people you've never met and aaron boone and brian cashman are still here but trust me, they know that now they're under pressure because we brought in some guys in suits. So there's definitely the possibility. I mean, like there's plenty of data. You don't need an auditor to go through the team's draft picks and be like shitty, bad. That guy's bad. That guy was never good. Like you don't need an exter external person to say terrible first round picks. But we shall see. There, there's a chance it's false hustle and it's just how Steinbrenner doing something to do something. But McKinsey is well known for auditing the Astros with ruthless efficiency. And if somebody, if McKinsey or somebody like that, they don't want to announce who the outside firm is. If they do come in and start placing their people in the Yankees ranks, it's kind of insidious, but it worked in Houston. So you know what? The recommendations could be sound. And according to Bob Clappish this week, quote, Steinbrenner has had enough of being runner up, said Clappish's source, who's spoken to the owner enough to assess his mood. Uh, you know, having enough of being runner up. If he's had enough of being runner up, then he must have really had enough of finishing fourth in the AL East this year and battling now with the Red Sox for last place. You're not runner up anymore. It's like when Boone said the rest of the league is caught up to us. Well, now they've caught up to us and lapped us. <laughs> and, uh, they're like, why are you even still playing? Shouldn't you get to playing foosball or something? Shouldn't you try another activity other than baseball? Um, so it could be talk. It could be we're not done. It could be, well, we did all we could and it's still not working out. Or are we doing stuff? We're going to live in the world where we're doing stuff. Um, let's assume good. Assume positive intent for now. <laughs> so in terms of ranking the people at risk here, um, I have a clear number one and number two on my power rankings for who's most at risk. And I think the number one, based on everything that Clappish wrote, the Athletic did their deep dive for us. This week, that like they do for all the shady, expensive teams that flame out. They did the Padres. They did the Mets. They did us. Great work by Chris Kirshner and Brendan Cuddy. No judgment. The Yankees one was more boring than the other ones because nobody who spoke on record actually wanted to say anything. They were like, yeah, injuries are crazy, man. This was a rough season, said someone speaking under a condition of anonymity. It's like, 
Nobody wants to say F Brian Cashman. Like somebody said, AJ Preller was like a robotic, like people judger or whatever. I would have loved a really elite quote, but everybody, the Yankees are all media trained. They don't want to say stuff like that. But yep. reading these pieces, Clappish for sure said the analytics team and the people who greenlit decisions like trading for Joey Gallo and trading for injured Frankie Montas are surely going to receive the ire of this audit. And uh, Michael Fishman, I would say you are in danger. Whoever leads that operation, there is certainly a chance that this audit says stop listening to these people before you make your final decisions. Uh, I think if Cashman's not in danger, the people who he relies on to give him the information that he uses certainly are and certainly should be. And so my number one is I think the analytics team is uh, close to rest in peace mode and they might not want to buy in New York. They might want to rent. They, if it, Going home at the end of the season, like Yankee Stadium will serve no more home games this year. Pack your pens. Pack your three-hole punch. Like anything you want to keep, <laughs> uh, make sure you grab. Make sure you already grabbed that earlier this week at the rain game because I don't think you're coming back. <laughs> Get your Homer's glue. Make sure you got your little uh, Jansport back. Bunch of nerds on the way out going, yeah. did, did anybody see my glue? <laughs> I was trying to pack all my glue. <laughs> I don't <laughs> – I think you're totally right. I think it's it's going to be Cashman's, you know, confidants. But the problem is here is that Cashman employs those people yeah. and probably has hired those people. So the audit is, to me, a bit of a slap in the face to Cashman. Um, but I also don't think it's a – it on the surface, it's a slap in the face. But in reality, it's not because he's responsible like Clappish does mention, he's like, yeah, whoever greenlit these trades. And it's like, does Brian Cashman not know who Joey Gallo is? Who greenlit the, who greenlit the medicals on Montas? Like, yeah, the buck has to stop with Cashman. You can't pin that on some other guy. Yeah. The analytics team is not being like, oh, you know, there's a chance that his rotator cuff might actually be okay in a month and a half. So we'll take the gamble on it. The analytics team is giving him information that he cannot spot right in front of him they are giving him intel that is beyond common knowledge they are not i don't think they are green lighting a joey gallo trade you know what kind of player joey gallo was you don't need to go into advanced metrics to know that you look at his baseball reference page for the past seven years it's the same thing so to me i think that in order for this to actually mean something Everybody around Cashman who's been instrumental in the decision-making needs to go. I think that's analytics team. Mm-hmm. Um, is Fishman the head of the analytics team? Uh, I mean, like, he is – what's his actual title? Yeah. Like, he's the one who's taken a ton of credit for – I've heard about the Nick Swisher signing, like, yeah. a million times. Oppenheimer has to go, in my opinion. Like, oh, he. I mean, he's my number one. Michael yeah. Fishman is the assistant general manager, and he is the stat-minded one. That is cool. his current position. Great. Him and Oppenheimer, yeah, could, could not be less um, reputable at this point in time. Yeah, I think that – those have to be the two because if you look back to disappointing Yankee seasons, like, yeah, we turned the clock back to 2016. Sucked, missed the playoffs, made the playoffs the year prior, got embarrassed by the Astros in the wild card game. You want to make some noise the next season, but the team wasn't good. It had a bloated payroll because of older contracts for the most part. Um, and they weren't that talented. They just weren't that good of a team. This team obviously had its holes, had many, had many a problem, but 
You have the face of baseball, Aaron Judge. You have a top three pitcher in the game, Garrett Cole. And you, in theory, have enough talent around them, plus prospects who had come up last year who started to look like they'd be turning the future around, ready to you know, take the reins in 2023. And the fact that everything fell apart from, you know, injuries to um, older, you know, uh, player regressions from guys like Josh Donaldson to Oswaldo Cabrera. Like there was no, there was nothing. There was every, every single thing in between here went wrong for the Yankees. So, and they, and they won 99 games the year before. It's not like they were coming off, you know, like 2015 to 2016 where they got to the wild card game and they weren't really that good, but you thought they might've could have done something a little bit and they didn't. This team won 99 games, made the ALCS, had one roadblock in front of them for the last however many years. It's the Astros. Couldn't do it. And now this year they are fourth in the division. So I th- I don't think this is a ruse. I think this is how Steinbrenner actually trying to get to the bottom of the problem. But I think the number one thing that needs to happen, we could power rank whatever all we want. Um, they need to figure out the injuries, and that's obviously Eric Cressy. Yep. He's um, my number two. Yeah, He's my you, number two. You talk about him, please, because I don't have the energy. But the number one move that has to happen here is you remove all of Cashman's confidants. You get him into a cushier front office position that is not uh, fully uh, responsible for making every single roster decision and signing off on the most important roster decisions. And then you bring in somebody beneath him and that person beneath him, whether it's a newer school thought, whether it's just a different perspective, whatever you want to call it, brings in a team around them and they figure this out because it's not working at this point. There's been a grab. And look, I'm not discounting what happened 2017 to 2019. Those were great seasons. Got unlucky in 2017 with the Astros scandal. Got unlucky in 2018. The Red Sox were an absolute machine. Mm-hmm. And then 2019, like, I don't know. Like they, they, to me, they, you blow it at home for a couple games against the Astros. You fight back hard on the road, and then you have Roldis Chapman, who's just terrible. Like the Astros were the better team, in my opinion. You got unlucky with some injuries, but like 2020 until now, that's four seasons, not good, and and something needs to happen. It, it, you don't have to clean everybody out. You know, Aaron Boone doesn't have to go in theory. Brian Cashman doesn't have to go, but there needs to be some sort of a rearrangement that gives us some a, a roadmap or the fans confidence that something will be different next year. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun? Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Yeah, I, again, like, injuries are tough, right? And so sure. everyone in this article blames injuries, and that's always going to be somewhat, you're, if you're signing injured players with with histories or people who, have, who are aging, like if you sign 34-year-olds, they're more likely to get hurt, of course. And Giancarlo Stanton now has a venerated injury history. And he actually, like, look, he missed a lot of time back in the day with Miami, but a lot of that was, like, young judge freak stuff, like hit on the mouth with fastball out for a while. But since coming to New York, 
and becoming a DH and not playing the outfield, lower body stuff, literally constantly. So, and he he's not running and hasn't run since May this year. So can you change that? Can you reverse Stanton's injury aging curve? I don't know. And so some of that's going to be the player, right? But the amount of people in this athletic article who are like injuries, I mean, it's never been worse. We got killed with injuries. Judge and Rizzo were freak injuries, although the medical staff could not figure out that Anthony Rizzo had a concussion and David Ross said, I think you have a concussion. (laughs) That said, the lower body injuries are crazy on this team. Always have been. Pitchers burn and churn. And like that happens in Major League Baseball. I understand it, but it's the worst I've ever seen in Mm -hmm. Tampa and in New York. The, the entire Yankees bullpen at the injured list after they were eliminated from the playoffs this year, basically. And we didn't really notice or talk about it because they were eliminated from the playoffs this year. But one at a time, as soon as they got axed, Loisaka, Canely, Wandy with the triceps, everyone at the back end of the bullpen hit the IL. Um, the amount of people that focused on injuries and the amount of the sheer number of injuries and repetitive lower body issues that have happened uh, in recent years, the Yankees hired a famous injury strength training guru named Eric Cressy, who has a strong connection to a lot of players. Like he worked with Verlander personally. That's why everybody thought Verlander was coming here. He wasn't. He worked with Corey Kluber. That is why we got Corey Kluber. What does Eric Cressy do during the season? Does he come to New York? Because I don't think he does. He's got a practice in Florida, and he works with a lot of these people in the offseason. How often has he been in New York? How hands-on is he in diagnosing these players? How instrumental is he in their training program? Is he able to be a check or a balance on someone who is not adhering to the training program? Are these programs personalized? How personalized can they be if he lives in fucking Florida? So I'm growing very tired of this man. He was is he Anthony in, Bosch? He was brought in along with Matt Blake as part of the revolution of like, here's a pitching guru from the new school who can completely change the way we do things. And here's a strength and conditioning guru from the new school who can completely give us a better rep in the area of strength and conditioning because he is the, the definition of modern medicine in this regard. We never see him. I just know his name. They need somebody who's able to better handle the day-to-day of these players. And and so if they're bringing up injuries a hundred times in these audits, you would think that these efficiency auditors would be like, why does your head of strength and conditioning live in a different state, a state that's far away? How much does he do? And then if they're not able to answer that question, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> get the, f- and in case your ears are fucked, um, Cashman, Cashman's next, like I just said, needs to be reassigned. Um, and then you have Boone last. I think that that's probably correct. Um, I don't think Boone's in danger at all. Yeah. I think Cashman is not going anywhere, but there's an outside chance that he gets, he's either going to lose some of his beloved staffers or he's going to get it against his will bump. Yeah. Um, I think, or they, they bring in like, uh, I don't know who I would even compare him to, but they bring like maybe a younger David Stearns esque assistant GM, like GM in waiting. Hi, I'm Bloom. Yeah. <laughs> Before uh, Cashman is GM emeritus. Um, but yeah, Boone, the players continue to back him. Um, honestly, I, like I said uh, last episode of the episode before, I think he's gotten a little bit more candid. Um, I, I don't think it makes sense uh, on that same plane like i don't think it makes sense for him to come back for one year as a lame duck manager 
and waste another year of this youth movement that they're trying to instill. So like, I, I, I don't know what the, I, to me, it's, I think you're choosing between extending Aaron Boone or firing him. Yeah. And at that point I would fire him. Yeah. Um, but then again, who's picking the manager is Brian Cashman picking the manager? Because I don't know if we want that to happen. So that's why these decisions have to come fast. Um, from Hal and he needs to, I think the owner now needs to have a direction. There's been all these articles that have previously stated that he's very hands off. He lets all of the decision-making, you know, Cashman's his guy. That's, that's where, that that's where everything starts and stops. So I think in order for this to change, I think in order for there to be a clear roadmap, he needs to step in. I don't know what his baseball Intel is, but as an owner, I think you could just influence like what you want to see happen, what you think the best practices are, because um, clearly there is a disconnect. I mean, there's a there there couldn't be a more obvious disconnect between the front office and the dugout. Think about it: if the Padres have that disconnect, if you read about that in the Athletic, yeah. the Yankees definitely do, just based on their moves, just based on how news gets released, um, just based on how like the. I'm not saying make a decision on Boone now, but like he doesn't have an answer for the media when they ask about what he thinks his status is for next year. I hadn't even thought about it. Yeah. Hadn't even never thought about it. Never so, even thought about it. I don't know. I know they like to take these decisions into the off season without having any in season turmoil, but Hal needs an imprint here. Um, he doesn't have to be a baseball genius. He just needs to be kind of a drill sergeant in holding people accountable and making sure that, the flow of information in every aspect is more efficient, whether it's analytics team to Cashman, whether it's front office to dugout, whether it's manager to player, whether it's player to media. Um, that's been the biggest problem, and that's why a lot of the stuff that comes out of the Yankees feels very dishonest, disorganized. Um, so, yeah, I think that's it. You had number one was analytics team. 1A was Fishman. Eric Cressy next. Brian Cashman, whether it's reassignment or losing all of his – Close people, and then Aaron Boone. I think it's that, that's probably the best way we can go about this. Yeah, that's where I'm at right now. We'll see what happens. We'll see if they actually take action. It, it, it seems like, look, again, Bob Clappish saying he's tired of finishing runner-up. Well, he, he better be because he's not even – he's not even in the realm of runner up at this point in time. If he hated being runner up, he'd better really hate this. And the season's over. They don't want to make moves in season. Fine. But the season's over. I'm not going to talk attentively. Uh, I'm not going to sit here in front of my TV, knife and fork out watching the Yankees play the Royals this weekend. So it's time to get into the offseason business. We're not even facing Cole Reagan. Aroldis Chapman isn't even there anymore. So that would have been fun. I'm good. That would have been a little bit fun, but he's going to the playoffs. They're going to win the uh kooky well so we can watch him in the playoffs that's not gonna turn out oh that would be that's gonna yeah that's speaking of fun that'll be gonna be fun it's gonna be fun if we're power ranking teams i want to root for the least in the postseason this year it's astros the very bottom then it might be rangers yeah because it's gonna be fun rooting against the oldest we shall see um well let's yeah let's talk players the comments want us to talk players so uh let's talk about some of the fun stuff that we've seen uh, recently and ignite some other debates. I mean, it's probably worth talking about the shortstops for next year. Mm. Uh, it was only a couple of weeks ago is when the Yankees were in Detroit at the very end of August and Anthony Volpe got his OPS over 700, hit his 20th of the year late to tie that game that they did not win. And we were all kind of like, 
All right. I mean, job's done. He, he's not going to have an exemplary frame it first season, but as long as he doesn't completely fall apart in the final month of the year, fatigue, what have you, he's going to finish around 215, 220, 225. He's going to have 20 plus homers. You're going to be able to put that 2020 season in the bank and say, not fantastic, but we can work with it. Like I said in the last show, I check every day now, basically just to see if he got a hit. Because I anxiously go, did he really not get a hit? Did he really go over again? To, really? No, come on. Um, got a hit yesterday. He's now at 207. Only four games left. Really hope that he's able to keep that closer to 210. He, he's shown flashes this year for sure. He's also shown flashes where he just completely loses his ability to control the zone. It's very odd. It's been a strange yeah. year for him. I don't know why it's ending so slowly. It's his first 162-game season. It is what it is. There have been enough moments this year, and it's rare enough for a rookie to go 20-20, and the defense has been pretty good, that I'm not out on Volpe. I'm no. just frustrated that I didn't get to end this season as pumped about him as I should have been. Which brings us to 17 errors this year, but the defense has actually been good. He has surpassed my expectations at shortstop. According to OAA, DRS, they've got him in the positive. OAA likes him less, but they still say thumbs up to him. DRS says he is one of the best shortstops in baseball. Defensive metrics are weird, but we'll give him that. His range has been excellent. The throwing arm just does not come naturally to no. Anthony Volpe, and that's okay. That's what we knew. We knew, hey, he's a shortstop. He's got great instincts. Doesn't have the best throwing arm. He's going to use it to make as many plays as he can. That's exactly what we've seen. Uh, according to Savant, his arm strength is in the 28th percentile. Okay. But again, you haven't noticed it too much this year. It hasn't popped off the page like, oh, this guy's got no arm at all. He's just been he's been good at getting himself in the right position to make plays. Oswald Peraza, the other day, against the Blue Jays, and Alejandro Kirk made a play in that game effortlessly in the hole, whipping a ball across the diamond with extreme velocity. Mm. It was Kirk running, but he got him by a mile with a wildly accurate throw. Yeah. And it just made you go, okay, so that's a great defensive shortstop, actually. I don't know if the Yankees have the stones to make the change next year. I don't even know if Peraza is going to hit enough to be guaranteed a starting role on the Yankees next year. And, of course, you move Volpe to second. Where do you put Glaber Torres? Because you can't really trade him if you intend to compete next year, and I think the Yankees do. He can't be a perma-DH. He's probably not a third baseman. So Peraza probably is a third baseman, and Volpe stays at short. It's all difficult, and I think Peraza's future might still be in another uniform. And I've liked the bat in September, but not before then. He's a shortstop, and he's a gold-glove shortstop. And it's probably not going to be here. Yeah. we. I mean, we knew that last year with the play that he made in the ALCS when he got that little bit of um, time on the field. It was – and watching him down the stretch was very encouraging. I have – I need to raise two points here. Yes. The first is his career is somewhere else. Great. Who's taking him in a trade? Yes. What do you get? What are you getting, what are you getting to? For? What are you doing? Braxton Garrett sending yeah. him to the Marlins? I mean, what are you doing? Uh, yeah, I, like I don't know what value you get. Again, the Yankees are not going to get the value that they think they should get, so it will create another point of contention on the trade front for this team because that's what they always do. Um, secondly, and I just think this is something worth discussing, what do you think happens if Oswald Peraza got 155 games under his belt this year without any playing time interruption? Does he put up similar numbers to Volpe? 
I literally do not know. Volpe, 21 homers, 60 RBIs, 24 stolen bases, a 207 average, a 667 OPS. Does Peraza come close to that with better defense? Like, I don't, the Yankees didn't give him a chance, so you'll never know. Um, my other thing that I'm wondering is do you trade Torres and get pitching or, um, you know, maybe what what else would you get in return? I don't even know what you get in return for Glaber Torres, uh, because gotta give me that controllable pitching. Gotta yeah, give me I know, but who's tra- again? I feel like nobody's trading controllable pitching either. No, and, and like, Sandy Alcantara, like you wrote about, is going to be on the shelf for probably yeah. the whole year. Feels like Tommy John for him. So the Marlins, who are tied for the final wild card right now and are a better team than the Yankees, yeah. aren't just going to sell pitchers next yeah. season. We've looked at the Marlins forever. Now they're better than you. So, yeah. So, yeah, I don't like you have very few sell high trade chips. I think Torres is one. And he's, and look, it's either to me, it's again, it's just either trade Torres or extend him. It's a boon situation. Why is he going into next year with a largely incomplete team? Again, is 2024 the year for you in your brain? Do you think 2024 is a year? Do you think that there's enough this team can do this offseason to address everything that has gone wrong to then jump back up to the top of the AL? I don't know. I don't think so. Could they surprise us? Sure. But if you're looking to get value and actually improve your roster, there are very few trade chips. One is Torres. The other, you could argue, is Clark Schmidt. Another, you could argue, is Michael King. Michael King. I don't think they're going to do that because I think he's way friggin' better than Clark Schmidt. Um, and again, pitching, pitching, pitching. Um, another one is Clay Holmes. If you don't think you need a closer and another team needs a closer and they're willing to overpay, sure. Um, and then the other option is selling high on a bunch of prospects. I think in the scenario where you maybe trade Torres, I am not entirely opposed to a middle infield of Oswald Peraza and Anthony Volpe in, you know, in 2024. I don't know if that would be messy. I think that if they can figure out how to address third base and center slash left field and get, you know, maybe Yamamoto plus another arm, I think that they can theoretically weather that storm. You get another lefty contact bat, which changes the profile of the offense. And then you can weather the growing pains with Peraza getting a full season under his belt or God forbid a sophomore slump from Volpe. Um, and then the question becomes, who plays where? Do you put Peraza at shortstop? We just as early as this off this past off season, there were reports upon reports upon reports stating that Peraza and Volpe are the future of the Yankees' middle infield. That's just what was said. I'm not. Do I think that that should be the case? I don't know. I think at this point, any creative solution should be considered because I don't know. I don't know how much worse it can get. But if that's the truth. And they still view that, and they're giving Peraza all this playing time down the stretch. Obviously, they called him up in when the middle of August to try and help kickstart um, a late push, which never came to be. Didn't happen. He's he clearly has the glove. I think there is th- th- there is enough in there with the bat. It's just a matter of unlocking it, and I don't know how long that's going to take, or if they have the resources to even do that, but. Now you have to weigh. Do you trade low on his value because you're not going to get much? 
or do you sell high on Glaber and then see what you have here? It, to me, it's it's tough, and I'm not sold on either way. I, I'm whatever decision happens with this in the middle infield realm, I'm not necessarily going to be upset with um, because I, I think that there's there's a solution to figure out figuring out all these moving parts unless you're unless you're getting rid of a player who's bringing inherent unquestionable value then the Yankees will be doing themselves a disservice and at this point that would mean getting rid of Garrett Cole that would mean getting rid of Aaron Judge and that would mean of that would mean getting rid of like is there even anybody else no I don't I, do, I don't think there is so outside you know anything short of doing that like uh, I'm for and I, I don't know, but it's worth a conversation because the glove, yeah, Peraz is young. Making those types of plays in the field is not easy. Um, and he clearly has the arm. And if the Yankees feel like Volpe could still keep that range up at second base and he has a weaker arm and he could still um, cover the ground and make the throws, then could be the move. But I think it, it's just something worth considering because of all the things that we've heard previously. And Again, the Yankees are not getting rid of players that they don't feel like they're going to get the requisite value for, and they're not going to get the value that they want for any of these guys who came up. Pereira, what value are they getting for Pereira if they wanted to trade him? Not much. It's not happening. No. Uh, you got to find yourself uh, a way to get Juan Soto, to be honest. Yeah. Um, well, we'll be talking about that plenty because uh, I think he honestly might get traded. And, and Passon said today, watch out for the Mets, and you got to watch out for the Mets. But uh, if he's getting traded, then get, in, get involved. Um, and do the Yankees have enough? The Padres lack high-level pitching. The Yankees have a ton of that. Just maybe that's where Peraza goes. And they got a lot of infielders there, though. So displace old man Bogarts. Uh, we'll see. Maybe they trade Cronenworth. Maybe they trade Kim also. There's a lot of moving parts here. The Padres uh, and Yankees are going to be connected a ton this offseason, and not just because Oswald Peraza might need a new home. Uh, being the shortstop for the Yankees is special too. We've talked about that. Who can handle it? Who can't? Volpe has handled it. Now, mm-hmm. everything we've heard about Volpe is he's a special kid, different mentality. Hopefully, if it gets taken away from him, that does not give any sort of hit to his self-confidence, which we can't have that because he's already not as high. He already should be ending this year higher than he is. But Peraza is a 250 hitter, 20 homer guy, better defense than Volpe. Probably your shortstop. Um, but speaking of another kid who's proving he might be that guy, man. Oh, yeah. The dude fella is Austin Wells. Again, he hit the one home run to tie the game while we were live on the air Monday. And it was kind of like, hey, literally just plopping lefties in there, even lefties who are hitting 120 and aren't hitting for power yet and are making good swing decisions and the power's not coming. Even struggling lefties can help because they can just find the porch at a moment's notice. Well, he went oppo. In uh, Tuesday night's game, found the left center bullpen, and now all of a sudden, 16 games for him, 58 ABs, five walks, four doubles, three homers, nine ribs, uh, 190 average, the OPS climbing up to 640, but there was a point in time when the OPS was in the 300s because small sample size is weird. Everything about Wells' metrics and the choices he's making, the pitches he's attacking, in-zone chase rate, et cetera, indicates he should be having even more success, but where he's at right now, where he's at for the last week or so, we're seeing a version of Austin Wells that I'm quite impressed with. And the MLB.com headline that is so funny said, Wells' offense finally starting to catch up to his defense. So it's like, oh, the defense has been good since coming to the majors? Interesting. Uh, Last seven games, 292 with a 750 slug. You won't get a tinier sample size than that, but still, just a couple weeks ago, you asked, can we just see Austin Wells do one thing? 
I won't feel good till we see Austin Wells just do one goddamn thing. And he's done plenty over the last week. He's ending the season strong. He he rookie learning curve took him like two weeks. And you're like, I'll I'll either see nothing from this guy ever, or I'm about to see what I want to see. And and it here here it's been it's been here for you. It's been awesome. I I, I wish he caught Cole in the last game, but obviously yeah. it was it was the right decision for Vortred to catch him based on the, the outcome of the complete game shutout. But since September 16th, Wells eight for 29, five runs scored, three home runs, six RBI. Um, two of those homers very much mattered. Beat the Blue Jays, tied the game against the D-backs. I mean. Those are, uh, and you and you have opposite field power and pull power in there. Um, he was lost for a little bit. Um, like I, I think the most impressive part is the learning curve. He started off hot. You know, he had that big series. He, he had that big was it series or game against the Astros? I forgot. Sunday night baseball. He ripped that double into the gap. Yeah. Um, then he went radio silent for a, a couple weeks, and then he was right back to figuring it out. So it's clear that he's not. He's not deterred by any struggles. Um, And I think a really cool storyline here is the defense. This was supposed to be a major league ready bat at the time of the draft. That's what all the evaluators said. They said he should be a fast riser. It's a, it's a major league left-handed power hitting bat. And that's the profile when he gets up to the bigs and it shouldn't be long. And guess what? There were questions about him changing positions, him playing first base, him potentially playing left field. We wrote about it in the offseason because the Yankees weren't addressing left field. And we said, hey, maybe Austin Wells in left field that this is being considered. No. I mean, even though Aaron Boone had talked, floated the idea of playing him at first base, he's he, he played maybe I, – uh, I, I want to say he's never played first base, but I think it might be two games in the minors. He's played catcher the entire time in the minors. He's come up, played catcher. I've had no issues with him. I've been more impressed than anything else. Yeah. Um, so this is a tremendous development for next year. I think it lessens what the Yankees might have to do in the offseason at, 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 you know, in probably the best case scenario here, they are trading or non-tendering Kyle Higashioka, which means they're offloading salary or offloading salary and getting value. Cause he has, this is last year of, arbitration eligibility or something yeah um, and he does not make much so no. it's, it's not like a huge like oh my gosh we can finally get the weight of higgy's 1.46 million off the books but no you're right he is not gonna he will not be on this team i'll take that money on a reliever though get him reliever for two mil yeah um and this team takes you know every penny matter so that that's that's how you gotta kind of look at it um and then that gives you a one-two catcher situation of Wells and Trevino, who said he's going to be Trevino is going to be ready for spring training, which is great. Um, and then you'll have Rortvet. Probably you could bounce back between the majors and AAA whenever you need to do it. So um, I think that this is exciting because we were. I was very worried about him after those first two weeks. Just like you, just needed some of these guys to find a semblance of what they're capable of before the year ended, instead of just having it be completely miserable. Um, and I think for the most part, you know, you have Pereira made some hard contact. I know he's largely been unimpressive, but like some of the, some of the hits that he's had have been impressive. Peraza uh, altered his, uh, what do he, he added a toe tap or some shit. Um, yeah. And that's been, he had that 440 foot home run, which was incredible. He made that nice defensive play. Um, 
Mike, I, I know Michael King's not a rookie, but he's transitioned to the rotation and now has made five incredible starts or six incredible starts. So like just end the year with something that you can bottle up and ruminate on in the off season and build off of when 2024 comes around and Austin Wells perfect timing for that. Hope he finishes the season strong now. And I'm glad he's finishing the season with us before we sign off. Let's do the narratives that pissed us off. This week, open for submissions on names of the segment. I know y'all in the comments are going to try to make us laugh. We appreciate it. But uh, drop it if you got it. Uh, narratives that annoyed us this week. It could be outside the Yankees. It could be a Twitter conversation that we didn't want to get in the middle of but did want to talk about on the podcast. could be the dumbest tweet we saw this week, et cetera. But this week, um, it's probably going to be – I hope it's Yankees-related 80 85%, 90% of the time. This week, it's the Red Sox fans for mm. me because – the Red Sox fans have been particularly toxic in recent weeks as it's become clearer and clearer they're going to finish in last place. Um, and you've heard more and more often about how this was a bridge year for the Red Sox. Well, again, it wasn't a bridge year until you started losing. It was, <laughs> then it wasn't, and now it is again because you have been bad and fired your GM. So the toxicity I saw most prominently was in the comments of that John Boy graphic that was like the joke Drake meme of like finishing last oh my out of four years God. and then, you know, not finishing under 500 for 40 years or whatever. Oh and it was just Yankee fans having a laugh with the fact that they also suck ass. So the Yankees are finishing fourth. <laughs> nobody thinks they're good. 18 and nine, though, since the end of August, best record in baseball. But nobody thinks they're actually good. Nobody's like, this was a win. This was a successful Yankee season. Every Red Sox fan in the comments was like, this is what we celebrate now in New York. You celebrate not finishing last. Wouldn't you rather be last for a better draft pick? And it's like, okay, well, this was dripping in irony. Nobody was actually celebrating not finishing in last. But also, it is funny that the Red Sox are in last again. The Red Sox fans are really triggered by this, tweeting a bunch of stuff like, oh, surely you have more playoff success than we do in the last five years. And it's like, actually, we kind of do. Like, you went to the ALCS once and lost. We've done that. We did that last year. We did that in 2019. We, we've done that a bunch. Um, it gets Red Sox fans in their feelings. They start saying dumb things. But more specifically, the, the dumb thing that's now pervasive is the Yankees and Red Sox finishing fourth and fifth this year is not equal because the Yankees were supposed to be good and the Red Sox weren't. Well, that's not what you said in May. Certainly not what you said in July when you were nine games over 500 gunning for a playoff berth. Not what you said in March when I was inundated by columns saying that, hey, don't count out an underdog Red Sox team. You just never know what's going to happen. David Ortiz said that. You, they, they might be most dangerous when you least expect them to be. I read plenty about how Brian Bayo was going to take an ace step forward this year. I don't think a 4.11 ERA and a 1.32 whip is an ace, but you tell me. I couldn't have possibly read more about how electric this team was, how Masa had revolution. Masa, not Masa Taki Yoshida, Masa. Hey, let's laugh at the Yankees for not overpaying Yoshida. All right, you got a 287 hitter with a 781 OPS and a 109 OPS plus who stopped hitting as the year went on. That's not that interesting. Uh, I read a million times this spring about how, yeah, we were critical of the front office, but then they extended Devers. What, you're not allowed to change your opinion when events happen? Sure, but then you're not allowed to change back when other events happen that makes it turn out that your team stinks. So you claimed in March, in February, this team could be sneaky good. You claimed in April this is going to be a special underdog season. Come out to Fenway Park, watch Massa, watch Verdugo, watch Duval. This offense can mash. You're the doogie. May, you told me, hey, sneaky team. June, 
They're 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 contending for the wild card. They're like a half game out. They swept the Yankees in New York at the end of August. And Alex Cora got called out of the press conference room. Everybody banging on the wall. Hey, come in here. Give us a speech because your season was so special. And that was the turning point. Then the Astros beat the shit out of you in Houston. Then they beat you up in Fenway too. Then your season was over. And all of a sudden, it's right back to this being a bridge year. We were never supposed to be good in the first place. We don't know what you're talking about. We men in blacked ourselves. We definitely weren't bragging about this roster for six months. So get out of here with that overused Twitter narrative that we weren't supposed to be good, so it doesn't matter that we were bad. It's also not a point of pride to not supposed to be good. The goal is to actually have everybody think you are supposed to be good because that means you like worked hard and built a good roster that people enjoy. So like you you do want people to think you're supposed to be good. That that's good. That that's actually a good thing that to have happen to you. Uh, so you guys suck. You I suck. Say that's good. And give me a break. This is part of my rent. Give me a break with the Justin Turner send off the other night. Yeah. Well, is Justin Turner ending his? 10 and five rights on the Red Sox this year as he heads into free agency that he needs a Fenway send-off. He's been there for not even eight months. The fans couldn't even figure out what was going on as he left yeah. the field. The announcers were like, this is to give Justin Turner the send-off he deserves. And he tipped his cap and all the fans were like, oh, oh yeah, no, I guess Justin Turner's leaving. Right, no, what, I, like, I forgot about that. What are we doing? And then he and then he, after the game, he had a comment that said the Red, Red Sox fans were brave for coming out to watch the team this year. Brave? Brave. Did they have to get through a war zone to get to Fenway Park this year? Was there Brave. Was there were there barricades that they had to climb over? Was there, was there a zombie uh apocalypse around the area? Well, it is brave to wear Red Sox gear because that's the team that Kurt Schilling was on. So you might have people accidentally being like, You a fan of Kurt Schilling? You have to be like, No, no, God, no, <laughs> never, ever. So if you wear a Red Sox hat, then you do have to answer those questions. So that is kind of brave. Yeah, I just I wasn't aware that uh, downtown Boston was uh, under attack and being invaded for Red Sox fans to brave their way to get through and sit in their seat and have a hot dog and watch baseball. Um, well, I wasn't aware. No. Um, another thing that pissed me off this week, I wrote an article and I was having fun <laughs> because I like to have fun. <laughs> and it was... Vladdy in the first game of the series against Michael King getting hosed by the ump. Yeah. The ump was hosing everybody. I just made it a joke that Vladdy got hosed because Roger centers his house. Vladdy got hosed in a different there. area code. Yeah. How can the how can the Blue Jays ever lose in Vladdy's house? It will never happen. Anyway, he he leaves three men on base, strikes out looking with the bases loaded after going up 3-0 in the count on a ball that was off right off the strike zone, but it was a ball. Um, in the first inning, one was below the zone. I think that was clearly a ball. Um, and I just wrote a joking article about how it was hilarious. The ump was owning him. And I get an email from an opposing fan saying, sir, I am a little bit amazed an individual would write an article that praises an umpire for blowing a call, but pretty standard procedure for a Yankee fan. Enjoy those playoffs, sir, sir. Okay. All right, sir. If you're a Blue Jays fan, you're six game bet six games better than a very awful Yankees team. And I understand, look, you're going to the playoffs. That's great. It's an expanded playoffs field. How many fucking years do the Yankees make the playoffs? And then you laugh at us when we go out in the ALCS. Now the playoffs are a point of pride for you because you're going to the playoffs and we're not. So it's like very much like the Red Sox fans thing where it's like one year, it's it's oh man. You know, this team disappointed. It was unacceptable. And then this year it's, oh, this team was bad. It should have never contended. And it's just fitting your 
It's fitting whatever makes you feel comfortable at the end of the day. So now the Blue Jays will make the playoffs after the Yankees completely derailed them last year, but that didn't that that was never really a thing. Blue Jays fans ever really cared about that. They were just, no. you know, oh, you should have done that. Your payroll is bigger. Oh, or you have Aaron Judge. You should be beating us like that. Mm-hmm. So I'm done with that. I know it's the end of the season, but um, I'm just getting ready for eliminations for every team that I hate. I'm not going to say anything. I'm just going to get. I'm just going to have it. I'm going to have it on the docket. I'm going to crack a beer when it happens, and I'm going to enjoy it because I don't need there, – there's no shit to talk. Yankees had a bad season. I'm not going to yeah. laugh at a team for going out in the wild card round or the ALDS. Theoretically, you made it, what, a few days farther than my team. Congratulations. Yeah. But don't send me an email when it's clear you know I'm having fun. I'm having a good time. My team's out of the playoffs. I'm laughing at some bad ump calls. Yankees got hosed too. Grow up. I forgot to crack my Red Sox elimination beer. I might do that after the show. Oh, yeah. um, sir, how many negative comment emails begin with sir? Sir, I am a little bit amazed. I've I, at least I amazed him a little bit, a little bit amazed. Um, yeah, I'm just you know it's content, man. Uh, we got to find the things that engage fans. Um, we got a pretty lively comment section. I know these guys like to have fun. Um, what's not? What wouldn't be funny to you for Aaron Judge to strike out on the eleven thousandth ball that's below his knees, but the umpires think it's a strike because he's seven fucking feet tall. Yeah. And then you're, oh, you're going to whine because Aaron Judge is striking out on pitchers that are balls. How about protect the plate? Okay, great. So then I'm going to have a great time making fun of you when yeah. you get host. And that's you it. Could've, you could have written about it too if you knew how to drive clicks on the internet. If you knew how to blog. Apparently, you don't know how to blog, so it's a bummer. If anybody ever reads an article, they want to reach out and talk to us, they can. Thomas and I are both readily available. You can find our emails, or you can contact us on Twitter. I'm Adam Weinerib. Thomas Carinante, where can the people find you? Ooh, I'm at Tommy's underscore takes. Um, I haven't been active on Twitter. It's just, um, it's not enjoy. uh, I get no enjoyment out of it anymore. Elon Musk ruined it. I'll try, though. I'll try. You can hit me up. I'm available. I'm just not, like, typing things out, saying a lot. Um, Very surface-level stuff. Um, but you can also find us at the official Yanks Yard Twitter account, Yanks at Yanks Yard FS, um, YanksYard.com. Folks, we're heating up. Uh, everyone's clicking. We had a, some good time with uh, in-game coverage this week. Um, I know these games don't matter, but clearly we have some interested fans. We have some a few storylines to keep following. We're going to finish out the year strong. And then guess what? Monday starts off-season content. It begins. We got stuff planned. You're going to be reading about it. You're going to be having a good time. So please head on over there. That's where our bylines are at. Um, We got other folks writing writing for the site too. So we want to make sure that they're getting the exposure that they need. Uh, Please keep keep up with us throughout the off-season. It's going to be a really good time. We've got a lot to talk about. We're changing our uh, podcast structure and cadence. So we're going to be coming at you all different times. Maybe multi, maybe more than two times per week, pending what's happening. It's going to be a crazy off season. Maybe we'll go live for a couple playoff games if there's any Yankees uh, uh, tertiary stories there that we can discuss with you. But until then, beat the Blue Jays tonight. That would be fun. Final series of the year at Kansas City. Boring, but last bit of baseball. Yankees baseball. So try to enjoy it. Watch the kids. Have a good time. Season's over. We'll talk to you on Monday with a little postmortem action, and we'll see you then. Yep, lots of questions lately, not just today, about what's going on in the offseason. We're not going anywhere. We'll be here every Monday, same cadence, same time, same channel. Uh, and we'll go live when you want us, when you need us. We'll, we'll find better times to go live moving forward. Winter meetings will be all over that. So just make sure you're subscribed to the channel so that you're getting the alert. Turn alerts on for the channel and make sure you get us when we are live. But you can always set your watch 
to Monday's show. Again, the Caesar Sportsbook promo YGY 1000 to get yourself those bonus bets. This episode was brought to you by Caesar Sportsbook. Would love if you checked them out too. Make sure you're eligible. Check the description for the full terms of the offer. Only do it legally, folks, but sign up for Caesars if you have not yet with our code. Again, YGY 1000. We will see everybody right back here on Monday afternoon. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure.